This Bee Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate, so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K through 12th grade curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. If you want to bring IXL to your school, you can learn more at IXL.com backslash B-E. That's IXL.com backslash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, activity periods, RTI, therapy, and teacher appointments, and much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE. This is Dr. Karen, and you are listening to the DeFacto Leaders Podcast, where I help pediatric therapists become better leaders so they can make a bigger impact with their services. On this show, I'll share up-to-date evidence-based practices, my own experiences, and guest interviews designed to help clinicians and educators feel more confident in the way that they serve their caseloads so they can help school-age kids grow up to be successful, kind, well-adjusted people. Hey there, it's Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 94 of the DeFacto Leaders Podcast. I am so excited to share this interview with special guest Clay Haddon. Clay is a private practice SLP, and he also is doing some great work in the area of insurance advocacy and also has is doing some really creative things when it comes to finding creative ways to serve communities that have a difficult time accessing services. I think that being creative with the way that we use our clinical skill sets and the way that we share our knowledge is so important. There are so many people who either for logistical reasons or funding reasons aren't able to access services or there might be cases where we just can't clone ourselves and we need to be able to create materials that we can use over and over again so that people can benefit from our knowledge and our skills so that we can facilitate skills beyond our therapy sessions. So Clay is doing some great things in those areas. So we get into a really interesting conversation about his experience providing services during the pandemic when we all had to be very creative with the ways that we served our caseload, as well as some of the things that he has come up with with his YouTube channel. And we get into some really interesting 
discussions about insurance and some of the challenges that clients may face, as well as some of the people who are in private practice dealing with some of these insurance companies have to address when they are setting up their businesses. And we also get into some conversations about the ethics of utilizing different online platforms and minimizing some of the negative impacts and taking advantage of them so that we can spread our knowledge more effectively. And we also get into a conversation about how parents and clinicians can vet some of the different YouTube channels and other online resources out there for kids. One of the key themes in this interview is the concept of creating assets that can be used over and over again. And I think this is really important for clinicians to understand because there are many times when we are not going to be able to have direct access to the clients that we serve, and we're going to need to find other ways to help them to learn the skills that they need in order to communicate successfully. So before we get going in the interview, I wanted to share a resource that you can use to help do that in your practice so that you can create assets that you can use over and over again that are going to help you be more successful in your career as a clinician, as well as serve your caseload more efficiently. So what it is, is a free guide where I outline 30 skills and tools that you can use to facilitate generalization. In this guide, I go through 30 different assets that you can build that are going to help you to be more effective. So there are tools that are going to help you create systems and processes so you can be more efficient. There are other things that I recommend that you can create so that you can spread your clinical knowledge, kind of like what we're talking about in this interview today. And then I also wrap it up at the end by talking about some skills that are going to be very important to you as a clinician not just your clinical skills, but other skills that fall under the category of leadership so that you can be more effective in serving the clients that are on your caseload. So to check out that free guide, you're going to want to go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash generalization. Again, that's drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash generalization. So now please enjoy this interview with Mr. Clay. All right. I am here with Clay Haddon from South Carolina. So thank you so much for being here with me today. Hey, Karen. How are you? Where are you, Karen? I am in Bloomington, Illinois. Oh, my goodness. Okay. What time is it in Bloomington? So it is 1 p.m. here. Okay. Or Central so an time. hour difference. Yeah. So I grew up in the Chicago area, but then I moved where I, the middle of the state. Mm-hmm. People from Chicago think we're Southern Illinois, but really they don't realize there's like this whole other part of the state. So I'm actually <laughs> in Central Illinois. Okay. <laughs> and you're you're you own your own business like me, right? Yes. Great. Yeah. So, um, well, thank you for having me. So yeah, so I'm here to talk about all the Mr. Clay stuff, all the things we're doing, and how I'm hoping that we can change the way that we interact with insurance companies. Yeah. So I thought we could start off. Can you just share a little bit about what you do, all the yeah. things that you're working on right now for work, business? Sure. So um, should I start with like at the beginning with my grad school stuff? Yeah. Why don't we okay. just go start from yeah. the beginning? Yeah. 
So, um, and it's, I'll give a condensed version of it. So I started off pre-med in college and realized I didn't think that that was for me. I didn't want to be a, I didn't want to have a doctor's lifestyle. Um, and to be fair, I was basing that all on like ER and stuff like that, but I didn't want to have like be on call all the time and, you know, have to work constantly. Yeah. Um, so instead I started a business and now I'm on call all the time and I work constantly, but then I went to, (laughs) I went to grad school, um, up in Chapel Hill. It was a great experience. I got my degree, my master's in, uh, communication sciences and disorders, um, through the allied health school there. It was wonderful. I worked in a hospital in Augusta, Georgia for a couple of years. I never wanted to work with pediatrics. It was not what I wanted to do. Um, but luckily when you're young, if you can, you will put yourself with people who know more than you and are smarter than you. And I was with some clinicians who saw that, yeah, I was going to work with kids. And then I was going to go, I was good at working with kids. When I was in grad school, all of my um, pediatric uh, supervisors were like, oh man, you're going to be so good with kids. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to work with head and neck cancer patients. They're like, oh, okay, sure you are. And all this kind of stuff. So <laughs> then I, um, I ended up working with pediatrics at that hospital. Um, after someone who was, had a big caseload of pediatrics left, I started getting into augmentative communication then because, um, iPads came out right as I was, geez, I must've been in my last couple months at my at my job in Augusta. So it was all new and I was the youngest and I was the person who like understood more technology than the rest of the people on staff and all this kind of stuff. So I kind of just fell into it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, Got a job at MUSC here in Charleston, worked there for about eight years. That was a great experience. And then um, we started having children and I needed to either like move up within MUSC, which was hard to do because we had such a young staff and it was so competitive or start my own practice. So I started my own practice. It's called Ready, Set, Talk. Um, we're based out of the Charleston, Mount Pleasant, West Ashley area of South Carolina. Um, and now I'm hiring people and all that. It's it's going well. Um, I work what I feel like all the time. I only see about 10 to 15 clients myself right now, but between everything else I do and that, um, I work all the time. And then during the pandemic, oh, geez, we lost staff members because they wanted more secure jobs in like the school district and stuff like that. Um, we had some people who moved back home, um, excuse me. And we weren't allowed in South Carolina to see any kids, uh, online at the beginning of the pandemic virtual therapy was not approved. And so we only couldn't, not only could we not see kids face to face because everybody was so rightfully scared and nervous. Um, we also couldn't see them online and get reimbursed. We did see some out of pocket people so we could do like articulation, that kind of stuff. But the population that we work with is usually more involved in terms of what they need. Um, and we couldn't see them. So I started making lessons for the children that I was working with, um, like little virtual lessons, like, oh, we're going to go on a trip to the zoo. And I'd bring out stuffed animals and all this kind of stuff. And a couple of my families were like, hey, you should put these on YouTube. So I put them on YouTube for them to have access to. Like it was just private links and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I had some people say, hey, you should promote this on uh, like social media and stuff. And I was on social media, but I wasn't like an actively engaged person in it. Like I would like, you know, 
if we're being honest, my favorite thing to do is like watch videos of people like falling off of ladders and stuff like that. Like that was the majority <laughs> of my social media time. Um, and so we started promoting it that way. Um, and now my goal is because it's been well received and and now my goal with the YouTube and with some of the other things that I'll talk about, uh, I want to be able to supplement a big chunk of the income that we're bringing in um, to ready, set, talk so that we don't have to be fully reliant on insurance companies. Um, and we can talk about why I think that's important too, if you want, but that's the goal yeah. is that I want to be able to provide care that's not dictated by people who aren't therapists. Yeah, that is such a, I mean, I, I think that people don't really realize how big of an issue that is. And I know that private pay is an option, but some people feel like they're not going to be able to serve as many people or certain populations if they do private mm-hmm. pay only, which I think people should figure out how to run their business, however works for them. And I know that a lot of people do make that model yeah. work really well, and that's great. Um, so I'm curious, though, when you went back, just going back to what you were saying about yeah. the beginning of the pandemic, you couldn't. So it wasn't approved mm. for you to see teletherapy Mm-mm. clients at all. So you couldn't see anybody. We or... we could. I, I can't remember if it took four or six weeks for that approval to come through the state. So we just our state insurances, our state Medicaid, our state Blue Cross Blue Shield. Um, we were woefully unprepared for anything like this, like most people were. And so there was not there was no safety net set up for these families to do any kind of teletherapy. So you mean from an, a reimbursement or you just couldn't yes. even have the from a, from a re, from a reimbursement oh, okay. standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so we then, we oh, did sorry. do some appointments, but we weren't getting paid for them. They were more like check-ins. Mhm. Yeah, cuz I imagine for a lot of the families it's like you know, everybody didn't know whether they were going to be working or yeah. depending on what their job was, if it could be done via teletherapy yeah. or so, so certain families, you just couldn't see them at all other than the check-ins. Yep. So there was, yeah. And, and it wasn't just for the insurance purposes. It was also, I will say the insurance did, did make up a big piece of it. Like it was very hard to tell my staff, Hey, you need to see all these kids that I'm not going to be able to pay you for. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, I just didn't feel great about that. So there was that too, but also parents didn't have access to technology, other people had to work all the time. Like all of a sudden you're at home in a pandemic and you've got three kids at the house with you. One of whom it has disabilities. Um, like how do we manage this? And so like everybody's, for example, like, you know, I see you at two o'clock on a Wednesday. Well, that time doesn't work anymore. Right. So yeah. now, now we've got to reschedule appointments for like 90 kids. How do we do that? Which ones are taking insurance And it? It ended out working, um, as we understood uh, COVID-19 better um, and what the rules and regulations are. But there were kids that, I mean, essentially dropped off the schedule and um, we have not seen since. Like mm-hmm. they've had to find therapists that are either closer to home or people that had things that worked on their schedule. Um, yeah. I really worry. And I'm, this is nece- not necessarily for this conversation, but I really worry about, the number of kids that we don't know about who lost services completely, who really needed them during the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and how, like, I think that sometimes people get, um, we, when I, uh, when I was in the schools, we did this, 
this organization came in and they did this poverty simulation where it was like they they had all this stuff set up and it was like you over here like you know this is how many how many cards you get for food and like this is where you can go to get a ride and then they had these people that were sitting around all of the in tables and they were all these government agencies mm-hmm. and a lot of people just you know in the simulation didn't feed their kids for a week or didn't go to work and lost their jobs and all of that and and then when they kind of did this review at the end there were all of these government agencies that you could have gone to but people didn't know about it and it was so overwhelming and it, it's like one thing would happen and then it would snowball and lead to another. And mm-hmm. then you don't even know what your resources are. And that, I think that happens a lot. I, I think that <clears throat> so that's another piece of my personal mission. So let me I'll say this, too. So another the other things that I'm doing is producing content on like all the social medias, yeah. educational stuff, um, advocacy based stuff. Um, if you follow me on social, you'll notice there's a couple things I like to talk smack about. One of them is Coco Melon, which we can talk about later. Yeah, but the, yeah, other, the other one is, uh, <laughs> is uh, insurance companies. And it's not that I think there's a couple things. Um, it's not that I think that all insurance companies are evil and that all the people that work there are evil. I think that the idea of insurance, the idea of Medicaid, especially when it started, was meant for good. Mm -hmm. But now I feel like there's this list of overregulations. People don't know what their options are. People don't know, for example. So, and I'll say this, I'm not going to say the insurance company's name. So we had a kid who just this week, they were switched to a different type of Medicaid. Well, the Medicaid type that they were switched to um, makes it very difficult to qualify for speech therapy services. So we had to, we had to pause therapy. We had to go back, um, write a letter, say, here's all their norms. Here's their test scores. Can we do therapy? So right now this kid's therapy is on hold for probably about four weeks, um, which when they're young, that's all lost time, especially yeah. when they're on the spectrum yeah. and they're getting it twice a week for an hour. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and when the family called me and said, okay, well, thank you for telling us that you guys are having an issue with this. Is there an insurance, is there a Medicaid type that we can switch to? Well, what most people don't know is that we as providers contractually are not legally allowed to tell them which one to switch to. Mm-hmm. That's a big no-no. It's in all the contracts. Most of the contracts that we sign, we're not allowed to say, oh, take uh healthy connections versus Molina versus this. Like we can't, we're not allowed to do that. Because we will, if they find out that we do those kind of things, we will be kicked out of being able to be Medicaid providers and no longer to provide care for anybody with Medicaid. So not only can Medicaid say like, oh, no, you can only see a kid twice a week. They're allowed to say, hey, you're not allowed to tell people which is the best plan for them if they have a kid with disabilities, right? Now, there's some workarounds there. We can say, hey, these are all the ones that we've worked with in the past. But the fact that we have these families who are already struggling to get information, who are on the outside of those circles that you just talked about, right? Who, um, not to mention, are just working so hard to kind of maintain things that they don't have time to do the research on their own. And they can't just call their provider and say, hey, can you help me with this? Um, They could call Medicaid, but Medicaid wait times are like hours and hours and hours sometimes, right? Like how do they how do they find the time for that? Like, to me, that is a problem. And I also believe that if I stood in front of a group of 50 people and told them that, they'd be like, oh, well, that obviously needs to change. That's the thing that needs to change. But people just don't know. If you're not in the world of 
disability in one shape or form, one way, shape or form. And if you're not in the world of poverty in one way, shape or form, then you are not going to know what things aren't allowed. You're going to, you, we've been told that these systems are in place to help people mm-hmm. and they, I think that was the intention, but I do not think that they do always. Yeah. It's almost like there needs to be a person who, I, I don't know that I would say unbiased, but somebody who isn't taking insurance, giving the information that like, would that be a potential solution for somebody who's just, you know, sharing yeah. information, but they're not providing therapy? Yeah, I, I think that I think that that's a great space to do it again, though. I think that I think that that's a great idea. My worry with something like that is that it falls on the responsibility of the parents who are trying to figure this out for those those kids. And that's another thing that they have to do. And it's kind of like it's just it's just a lot. It's, yeah. you know, I. I for me, the answer seems to be like with my Facebook post and stuff, just telling normal people, like every average day person, like, here's what happens. Here's, did you know that Mick, that Medicaid can dictate, um, how many therapy sessions we have a week with a kid? Even if we think that they need three sessions, they can say, no, you get one. When I tell that to people, it brings an awareness. And I think that that's where it has to start is mm-hmm. making people aware who do not live in the world that we live in. Um, before I worked with kids with disabilities, so I've got an uncle with mental health issues. Um, I've got family who are very well educated and who have my grandmother was a counselor and all this kind of stuff. And you would think that even someone like me who's been exposed to it all my life would know all these things. I didn't know this stuff. I didn't know this stuff even in grad school, right? Like this was yeah. stuff that I figured out when I started my business. Um, you know, that's. I feel like saying it's a problem is not the right way to say it, but it's a fact that it needs to be changed. Whether or not it's a problem, it's just the way that it is, right? It's just yeah. the way that we've kind of accepted things. <clears throat> and I think that we have to actively push against the way that insurances work. I think that, and I said this on another interview I did recently, I think if Medicaid and Blue Cross and all those companies realize, hey, there's a pocket of therapists in South Carolina who they don't seem to need our our resources. We need to investigate why. And then we have these real conversations. I think that kind of advocacy is good. I think, you know, local level things like talking to your speech, uh, like the Skisha here, so South mm-hmm. Carolina Speech Hearing Association, yeah. talking to them and having them advocate for you and stuff like that. I think all of that is great. And I think it should be done. But the families that I talk to don't have time to wait for that. Because yeah. if they do, then their kid is going to all of a sudden be eight years older than they are today, and they would have missed out on a ton of services. Yeah. I mean, you almost need to be thinking about the long game, but but yep. at the same time, it's, you know, there are humans in front of me who need help. So what do yes. I do right here? Right. So I think you've explained a lot about why you're looking for alternative ways to, you know, earn income so that you you're able to continue running your business. Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, what you're doing there, the decision, sure. you know, <clears throat> made throughout that process? So the, the, the YouTube stuff. So I never thought of my, well, the, and the YouTube stuff is so it's still really funny to me. Um, the YouTube stuff was not planned. So I started working with a kid years ago who would watch like clips of YouTube videos. So like 
Toy Story clips, but some adult had gone in <clears throat> and like changed it all to curse words or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And then he would have echolalia later at home where he's dropping the f bomb and this and this and this. And yeah. we were like, okay, how can we address this first? So that's how I learned actually how to do video editing. Is I would take uh, I would take those videos that he had, and I'd either make my own videos specifically for him and put them on YouTube, and we kind of like built him a channel, or we would take the videos that he had and like. You know, I would just cut the volume off when it did the curse words and stuff like that. So that was how it started. And then I got into this, uh, the whole uh, therapy technique of video modeling, which is like another conversation right. in and of itself. Um, and so I had some some baseline experience on like how to film, how to do some audio stuff, how to sync things up, how to add images and overlays and green screen stuff. I had some of that knowledge uh, prior to the pandemic. And then I just started um, recording myself pretending like I was doing a session with a kid. Like it was really that simple. There's no scripts. I have like what topic basically, or what core word or fringe word I'm working on that day. Um, but I don't like really have a lot of planning behind it. And I like that for a couple different reasons. I feel like it for me, it just works better because of the amount of time that it takes to do all this. I don't have time to write scripts for everything. But also, I like the messiness of it. So, like, I'm getting ready to post a video um, as soon as I'm done editing it. It's like a bubbles video. Like, here's the things we can do with bubbles. We talk about popping, and I model it on Ogcom. And there's one point where I say the wrong word, and I have to correct myself. But I also correct myself on the communication device, right? So I just totally flubbed it. And I just, I just push through it like I would in a session because I think yeah. it's important for people to see like not everything is this polished thing. And the beauty of communication is that you can say the wrong word and still like find a way to communicate what it is that we, that we mean. Right. And then yeah. with these kids with augmentative communication, like I feel like there's this subconscious thing where we expect them to be perfect at it. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. I don't know one human being who's verbal who's a perfect speaker all the time. I, mm-hmm. I mess up dates on my, I mean, I went back and forth with you a million times about confirming for today because I always get dates and times wrong. Like that's just something that I'm chronically bad out, bad about. And so, you know, I, that was, that was kind of the idea was to provide these examples for the kids and for the parents of how to interact with augmentative communication. So that was, that was that. And it kind of has taken off. I also do songs and all that kind of stuff now, but it's, it's also very silly. Like when I record these, it's me by myself in what looks like a dungeon. (laughs) Yeah. I think people don't realize how, like when you create something like that and you record it once and it's on the internet, you've created something. It's like, you know, people who make these flashcards that they can use over and over again. But then when it's online, it's, you know, you're creating an asset that can be used yep. and shared and you don't have to record it again. You can mm-hmm. use it for your next session. I just, I mean, I just think that's, it's a really good way to take your clinical knowledge and package it in a way that can yep. be used over and over again. That doesn't always require you to directly explain because yep. with the AAC things, I think people, just the whole idea of how to model with using a yeah. device. People do not understand that whole idea of how do we learn language Well, there's modeling and, you know, the again, all of the corrections and yeah. you know, revisions and all of that. And and we just put a device in front of a kid and expect them to just start mm-hmm. typing on it or do, you know, using the the symbols and just the idea of how does how do you take how we normally would learn 
language and put it over onto an AAC device. And I think mm-hmm. that sometimes people need to actually, even though you can explain it, I absolutely see it. Absolutely. And, you know, I tell people like I don't make these kids, these videos just for kids who use devices like, yeah. you know, a, a, a disabled person is absolutely welcome to and watch this and get all the information they want. But I make it for family members. Mm-hmm. I make it for um, like whatever you would consider like a typically developing child. Like I think it's also important for all of us to see more augmentative communication. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also tell people this, maybe I'm not the person who needs to be doing this. Maybe it should be a person, for example, who actually is a device user and all this kind of stuff. And I I agree with some of those concepts. But to me, the most important piece right now is that we're pushing these messages out there and normalizing all this stuff. Again, as not only a way of educating um people that we work with, but as a form of advocacy, like if some parent looks at that and says, Oh, what is he doing? And then they go down this wormhole and say, Oh, I can do more locally to help people with disabilities and this and this and this, then I think that that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. But it is nice to also have like this bank. I've got like 150 videos up now. It's mm-hmm. it's nice to have this bank of things like, Oh man, this kid wants to watch videos about bubbles and I don't want them to let like any particular video. And then they, I'm able to show them one of mine. It's really nice. It's also been cool. The kids who come to our caseloads that are new kids have been watching the videos before they come in for an eval, and they're way less nervous. Ooh, that, yeah, I didn't think of that. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, how you could, that could be a form of rehearsal or preparing mm-hmm. kids for a situation. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that could be something you do with vid- video modeling or. Yep. Yeah. That's been really fun to watch. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a good idea because, you know, I remember when I, you know, back before we had YouTube, it was mm-hmm. just, let's make this, you know, there there are all kinds of different programs where you'd make these cartoony pictures and they sure. were fine, but, or you'd have these, you know, pictures, actual pictures that you would print out and that mm-hmm. could be fine too. But when you see a video, it's just, it's a little bit more accessible and convenient yep. and- and it resonates with people too, right? Because that's what we do now. We have all these devices and we all watch videos all the time, right? Yeah. Like that's what we do. And I, and it's, it really hits home for these kids, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I think that people don't realize how easy it is to just put a video up on YouTube. Oh, or yeah. Anybody can go do it. live on Facebook or oh, yeah. Instagram or, oh, you yeah. know, that it, it, I showed my dad how to do it the other day and he is, you know, not, not yeah. super techie. You know, it's just anybody can do it. It doesn't have to be edited and perfect. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you can, it's not that hard to learn editing, but <laughs> no, but, and well, and that's the other thing is I think that people wait and this kind of goes into the leadership piece, right? This is one yeah. of the, <clears throat> the things that I like to talk about is like, don't wait for the perfection of something, right? You're going to yeah. get better at something the more you do it. Like there's definitely, a, uh, if you look at my first videos versus the ones now, there's a change in quality, mm-hmm. um, just the overall look, and they'll get better as I as I do them. You just have to try to do things. Like if you think that it's something that's going to be valuable, go for it. The only thing that's bad that's going to happen is someone's going to say, oh, no, that's that's not good. Take it away. And you can delete it. Although it's on the internet, it exists forever, but still. Or, or ignore them if they're spam. I've had, I've had so <laughs> many mean things said to me online. It's amazing. You just get over it. Yeah. I mean, 
some of these people, you know, where it's when they have their profile picture is a picture of a cat, they're not even mm-hmm. showing their face. Do you mm-hmm. really want to, do you really care mm-hmm. what that person thinks? No. And, and also I, I think for me per, personally and professionally, one of the things that happened with the pandemic is, uh, I, and I was doing, I was the guy who was doing everything the way you were supposed to be. The business was growing, the money was coming in and all this kind of stuff. It was going well. And what the pandemic showed me is that you can do everything right and it's still not necessarily work. Something crazy could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully it's not a, another like global pandemic, but yeah. you know, you this week, every one of my children has been throwing up at home. And so I haven't been able to get more, more than like, you know, half a day's work done at a time. And that's just what it is. And to have these things available for your clients and all that, it's just been, I don't know. It's, it's, it's very cool. Well, and I think just being able to adapt, you know, you yeah. can't learn how to do it one way and that worked. And now you are learning yeah. how to evolve. I think the interesting thing about the whole idea of putting it out there, and I can say I have so much content on the internet that I just look at it and I cringe. Like I, oh, yeah. oh my gosh, some of my early stuff, even some of the stuff that I put out a couple months ago, I'm like, eh, did I really say that? But yeah. I think the point is that you put it out there. And even if it's not as good as your videos now, yeah. somebody probably found that helpful. Even Absolutely. If it wasn't perfect. I still I still get messages from families. I mean, I've gotten messages from people in the Barbados. I've got messages from people in like New Zealand and Utah. Like I just I get messages from people all the time saying, Oh, this is so great. Thank you for making this and all this kind of stuff. Um and for what it's worth for anybody who's like looking to do this. I I can tell you, I make about $30 a month off the YouTube stuff right now because it's just, you know, it's a saturated market and there are a lot of people doing it. So don't do it for the money. Do it because you think you have a good idea. And then eventually the other opportunities will come. So like now I'm working with this uh, really great small publishing company that some other SLPs have published with called Nine Wise. And I've got a book that's either going to come out at the end of next year or the beginning of 2024. I got to write a really cool article for Verizon Wireless online that was like, it was just an intro into AAC, but it was reaching a population and a group of people who would never read about augmentative communication in any other way, shape or form, right? Like do things to give yourself opportunities to do the next cool thing. Yeah, totally. Well, and I think that sometimes if you have some flexibility worked in, you, you mm-hmm. can start building something else, mm-hmm. even if it's something that's going to take a long time and yeah. going to mean that, you know, you have to learn it. You have to figure out how to kind of build it. But yeah, I mean, just, I like the idea of diversity and also the the idea of that you can, here's, you know, your your business where you're earning a living, but then there's other things that you can do. And some of them are to grow your business. Some of them are to give back and there's all yep. this flexibility worked in. I, I do think though, too, that we are, and it might not be me. It might be someone much smarter than me. I do think that we are going to find ways to provide therapy. Hold on one second. Would you believe my mom's calling me? No. <laughs> <laughs> you can leave that in because that's funny. Hold on. Um, I do believe that we can be the people who who change the way that we work within these systems that were that are no longer benefiting us. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like I really do. I think that there's a desire. I think that there's a need. Um, I think it's about getting the information out there and talking about it all the time. Yeah. I mean, I think that sometimes 
it's just like this is this is something that I struggle with too. And I think that a lot of therapists struggle with this as well. The idea of I've heard it just referred to as cause and effect thinking, where you do something and then you expect a result. Like I talked to my administrator about this thing that's a problem, and we had a conversation and it didn't happen. Or mm-hmm. I shared a post on social media and nobody responded. I posted yep. a video and nobody viewed it. Like all these things where it's you 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 can't you're not going to see the result right away. It's going to be yep. tiny 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 bits of growth that are going to compound over time. And it's frustrating because you're like, you know, I, I want to see the impact of what I'm yeah. doing. But at the same time, sometimes you just have to keep going. Mm-hmm. Have you read um, Atomic Habits yet? Yes, that's exactly where I got that from. <laughs> yeah, you sounded like so. I, uh, I, uh, I, I've read Atomic Habits too. I've listened to it on. Uh, I, I listen to audiobooks because my attention. By the time I get home at the end of the day, I like have no attention for reading anymore. And uh, my Christmas present from my wife, I asked her to get me. There's a like a habits journal so you can start yeah. tracking things. But mm-hmm. I, I agree. And to me, the idea, uh, even therapeutically, this this idea of yeah micro changes, these Mm -hmm. little things that we change to have a greater impact and who we are and the world that we're in. I think it's, it, it makes a ton of sense. And I think I was, what I liked about it is that I was doing those things anyway. And then I had someone validate it for me and I was like, Oh, I'm not a crazy, lazy person. I just (laughs) need like small incremental changes. Well, and what I would do sometimes is I would just be a little all or nothing where it was like, okay, I'm not doing this one thing. I'm going to just go from zero to 60. And then I would burn out after a week and then just quit. Yeah. I've done that so many times. Oh, that's how I lived uh, like 30 years of my life. (laughs) And then you're like, oh, it doesn't work. And it's like, oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I think that. Yeah, I think that that's a big way to cause. And I would anybody who's listening to this. James Clear, I'm sure you're not listening to this. Um, <laughs> like get that, get that book and listen to that book and let it be a part of, um, the way that you do therapy. Because I think that like I'm actually going to listen to it again as I'm going through this journal mm-hmm. thing with him. Um, because I think that it's, I don't know. I just think that it's a good way of like looking at things. It might not be for everybody. There are p- people who probably do better with that all or nothing jumping in. But for me, um, like I just started a newsletter, right? And my goal right now is to like once a month, I'm going to try to drop a newsletter item and just send it out and I'm not going to overanalyze it. Mm -hmm. If I, you know, I'm uh, blogging, I want to start blogging more because I do think I have some things to say, but I'm not going to like, my goal is to start writing a new blog every week. And if I get through it, great. I'm just going to start the process, making those little incremental changes. Yeah. I think that's, Picking something that you will stick with is yeah. that was one of the biggest things that I took mm-hmm. away from that that book. I think he gave the example of just go to the gym for five minutes of warm up, which it's like that sounds yeah. crazy, but just do it. And then you mm. can do it more. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, that I think that's you know, I talk to people a lot about, you know, how can you be a leader? How can you advocate? And there are a lot of things that you need to be doing. You can, you know, create materials, you can create yeah things that you share with other people like you're doing, but you don't have to do it all at once. You don't have to do a million of them. You can just do whatever you can commit to, and then you can increase it. 
and, and I even think even beyond that too. And I, you know, I, I have this a version of this conversation with my staff. So one of the things that I offer all my staff is that like if you want to, um, because there's dead time patients don't show up or they get sick or whatever, yeah. right? So if you want to write a blog article for the website, I'll give you credit. Or if you want to keep, you know, create teacher pay teachers, I'll let you keep all the income up, yada, yada. But not everybody wants to be the person who does that, right? But what I do tell people, like, if you still want some of those changes, if you still want to be helping with advocacy, like social media, man, like things, share things, mm-hmm. follow people, if you don't feel like you want to be the person and not everybody has to be like the Mr. Clay, like starting a YouTube channel, right? But promote those things that are good and that are beneficial and that are moving things forward. Like that's the other piece. Like everybody can be a part of this in some, in some way. Yeah, for sure. Well, and the other thing is, is that you can, there's other kinds of things you can do if you want to promote other people's products, there's yeah. you know affiliate Absolutely. Relationships, or you can go and, you know, work for somebody who's running a business. I like how you're incorporating some of those other things into your model with the people that work for you. I mean, I think that's really creative. I, I, because again, I, I don't know, in part, not again, but, but part of the reason for that is like, I don't want to run a clinic it burns out therapists. I think that therapists are some of the most valuable resources that we have, like culturally, right? Speech, OT, PT. Um, and we burn them out really quick because we open these clinics that are 100% uh, reliant on insurance companies. And with all the overhead and the pay for the staff and benefits, we have to be seeing everybody has to see 40 kids a week. And that's a really good way to provide crappy therapy or over 40 kids a week. Normally it was what it is, but that's a really good way to like provide bad therapy and have unhappy therapists. Um, I think that we need to like figure out ways again to do things better. And so that's what I'm trying to work through with my staff. They are very, I should give a shout out to Lauren and Haley and Brittany and Anna, because they're all very patient people as I like, uh, I I'm, I'm not type a, I'm not type B, but I'm some, like, I might be a type D like I have all these ideas and like, I want to do all the things and they're very patient with me and listen to all my craziness as I work things through out loud. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, taking care of our staff is, is a, is another motivation for me. Sorry. I went on the tangent. I, I no, do that. I, you know, and I think that that that's interesting because I think a lot of people that do evolve in, into a leadership position, it's like you almost need people who can't, you have all your ideas that, and then, you know, people who help you sort of funnel them because, oh, yeah. you know, it's, you can't go 20 directions at once. You That's, can maybe go one or yep. two. I also should give a shout out. So my best friend from college is uh, Jim Hendricks. We were, and that's his real name. We lived in our first dorm together and he helps me with all the audio and stuff for all of our mm-hmm music and he's a producer and a voiceover actor up in Nashville. And I would be remiss not to mention him too, but, it, but that's part of it is surrounding yourself with people who can make you better and who understand pieces of things that you don't understand. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, it's, it's hard to be good at everything. Oh yeah. And it would be exhausting to be good at everything. It would. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, you can stat, you can build one skill and then you can build another skill. And I don't like to be absolutist about it, but at the same time, 
sometimes there's a benefit to just leaning into what you're working on. Absolutely. Well, and with with the the conversation about burned out therapists, mm-hmm. I always when I was in the schools, I just would get you know, you need you need some downtime. Even if you really like doing therapy and you like just directly, you know, being in that direct treatment model, mm-hmm. you need some downtime to just decompress. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think that was in um was one of, in one of Dan Pink's book. I think it was in Drive. Have you read any of his stuff? No, I haven't. That's a good one. He, he talks about uh, just you know what motivates people to do good work, and he talks about this concept of twenty percent time, where it's some companies will give their employees this twenty percent time to go work on creative projects and just innovate and think about different ideas. And I think that's really important because I think you yeah. can get really in the weeds, and you just don't you can't create the mental space to think about yeah. okay. I'm seeing clients and I'm seeing them directly, but what am I going to do to make sure that they get help and support after they leave my session? Absolutely. Sometimes people feel like, how the heck am I going to have time to even think about that? Yep. So that's And I think that that's where we need to go. I, again, this all goes back to the insurance piece. I think that that's where we need to start aiming ourselves as clinicians and as um, as people who work in the schools, as people who own private practices, we need to advocate for ourselves and educate people to, to show them like, Hey, I am a product. I am like, I am something that has value and I need to, you know, be respected and accommodated. And I need that 20% time to be able, I would love to be in a place where I could have these, these brilliant women who work with me, um, create things for these kids that they are with all the time that would end up potentially benefiting other people. Um, because there isn't time for that, right? Like there isn't that space for that. And maybe some would want to do it and some wouldn't, but that is such an important piece of, of, of what we're not doing. We leave all of that to the researchers. And I think that that is good, but I think that a lot of really valuable stuff can come out. I mean, again, if you look at some of the people online, um, I feel like I should get my social media open to like, yeah, to like look at people, but there are so many. So like right now, the person just popped up is outside uh, OT outside the box. He's always posting great OT things. Um, Speechy things is a wonderful speech therapist. Who's always posting about articulation. Shelby, the SLP play spark. Um, uh, um, Thanks Morris. Like all of these are people with little niches who are doing things that are going to make an impact. I'm just scrolling and now it's giving me advertisements for um, like chew toys for my dog. Hold on. Um, <laughs> there's just a ton of people who are out there with these ideas and we need to be advancing and pushing these ideas um, and giving these people space to do that. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a lot of room for uh, innovation in our field. That's not going to come directly from research. Yeah, well, and I think that the, it's it's all this continuum. You know, you have to give the people who are good at research, you know, they have yep. to just focus on research, but they yep. also have to talk to people and and see how it's being applied. Mm-hmm. So I know that there's a couple other things that we wanted to get to. So obviously, um, one of the things that's come up, I think it's 
come up even more during the pandemic when we were all locked down and stuck in our houses. But as we more people are using technology and there's there's kind of it's kind of a double edged sword. So Mm -hmm. it's great that we have these tools where we can share videos with families. Mm -hmm. But then also YouTube also has some pretty questionable content and we'll just online in general. So do you want to talk a little bit about how you balance that knowing that there is a darker side of it? Yeah. So, um, is this where I get to talk trash about cocoa melon? Yeah. (laughs) I'll do it. I don't care. Um, so let me start by saying this, and this is something that I do tell people like the stuff that I'm posting with Mr. Clay is in no way, shape or form made to, made to replace any kind of speech therapy, right? Like it's just to be like an educational content. Mm -hmm. There are some amazing, amazing people to follow on YouTube. Um, Miss Rachel is blowing up right now, which is a good thing because her uh, early language and like childhood stuff, it's all very developmentally appropriate. She was an, uh, an English teacher mm-hmm. uh, or not an English teacher, a, I think a pre-K teacher, something like that. Yeah. She was a teacher. And so she has this background. She knows what she's doing. She knows how to interact with the camera like it's a kid. Um, I think uh, there's another one. Art Art uh, for Kids Hub is a great like artistic channel where this dad who's an artist teaches his kids how to draw fun things every week. Um, uh, Cosmic Kids Yoga is another one. Like there's tons of things out there that are beneficial, right? Um, and then there are some things that are not. <laughs> um, and uh, the and so I if you follow me online at all you've seen me talk about coco melon um and it's not that i think i, I want to put the caveat here it, it is not that i think the people who watch coco melon with their kids are bad people because i don't think that you know what i mean like uh my kids again have been sick all week so we have watched so much television over the last week yeah. as just a form of survival um i'm not placing judgment on those individuals at all uh, New York Times, though, released this article this year that was just meant um, as like an expose on how Moonbug, which is the parent company, how they um, create content for kids online. Right. And one blurb and it was only there was only like a paragraph dedicated to it. Um, I'd already felt weird about Coco Melon just because you see these kids come in and they want to watch it as like a reward on your iPad or mm-hmm. whatever. And then their reactions to leaving Coco Melon are so intense. And I'm not talking about just like, a, I don't want to, I'm having difficulty with transitions. I'm talking about a, like, it's hard for them. Like you see, like just physical, almost miss almost withdrawal type symptoms. Right. Yeah. And so there was this article, the New York times was talking about how one of the things that Coco Mello does is they bring a kid in, they let them sit and watch a video as soon. And then they have a distraction video to the right or the left. Right. And so the distraction video is someone like, you know, making coffee in the morning or making breakfast for someone, something very mundane and like lifelike. If they look away from Coco Melon at that video, they pause the Coco Melon video, they change something about it, whether it be the way the camera moves or the, the color of the kid's T-shirt or something like that, right? And then they they bring another kid in and they do that ad nauseum until kids basically don't look away from the videos, mm. okay? So yeah. what they're doing, and it, and it was it was just very matter of factly. It wasn't written in this like ominous way. But for me, they're doing two things. 
they're turning our kids into like these little screen addicts who don't want to physically look away from the screen. And if you've ever been addicted, I was definitely one of those people who um, I think Candy Crush came out around the time that we were having kids. Right. And I I don't want to say that I was addicted to it because I feel like that demeans people who actually have addictions. But I was obsessed with it. Like it was my form of escape. So for me, like I cannot have games on my computers. I mean, uh, or my phone or anything like that. Um, that being said, I think that we're doing that to these young brains. And I think that that is a bad thing. I think that we are, we're priming their brains in a bad way. Um, but not only that, we are teaching them based on the methods and my understanding of that new New York times article. And you can read more about this on my blog, but on the, in the, in the New York times article is that we are teaching them that these other real life things, mom making breakfast, a cup of coffee, these distraction videos, as they were called are bad. We're basically saying, these are the things that you don't want to look at. This is stuff that's boring. That's not going to like entertain you or be something that you're going to want to engage in. And to me, that is also a huge problem because we're teaching them how to be distracted from the rest of the world. Yeah. That is where I have issues with things is when it's, is, is when it's done with that kind of intent. And again, I don't think the moon bug people necessarily meant it like that when they started making all these videos, but that's what they're doing now. And I don't think anybody's like sat down with them and said, Hey, have we talked about like, like the, the ethics about what it is? Right. We talk about like, uh, social, um, the, like the social media ethics and stuff like that. Like, what are we, what are we doing to these kids? And I don't think it's good. It makes me nervous. Well, and I just have noticed recently myself, even I notice myself all the time, you know, where it's like, I pick up my phone and I'm going to just go and, mm-hmm. you know, Send go an and email. practice Duolingo. And it's like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Go click into my Instagram oh, yeah. and just scroll. And then oh, yeah. I'm scrolling. And then it's like, wait, what was I doing? And you know, I, I'm like, I used to, I used to be able to just do one thing at a time. What's happening mm-hmm. here? I These, miss the, <laughs> they, they, that's the intent of this stuff, right? I've had to put blocks on my phone so that like I have two hours of social media allowed on my phone each day. After that, it, you know, the screen time options on my phone, I set it so that it locks up mm-hmm. two hours is still a long time of social media. It is. It is like, that's, I was reading something the other day about kids where it's like two hours a day is a, um, the limit. And I was like, where do you find two hours in Mm -hmm. a kid's day? Especially, you know, I have a a middle schooler where it's okay. There's homework, there's, um, you know, extracurriculars Mm -hmm. and, you know, maybe you want to talk to your family sometime, Mm -hmm. you know, like where, where do you find two hours to do that? Yeah. And I, and I, and, and that's why, again, I, so there's no way to get fully away from screens there's that's we don't live in a world where that's an option anymore but being educated about what these things are doing to us so again your people like miss rachel your people like cosmic kid yoga these are people who were trained um bluey have you watched bluey your kid's too old so that's a it's a cartoon about like an australian sheepdog family but and it's on disney plus i do believe it was created by educators, and I think there were like some neuroscientists, like there were people mm-hmm. who had experience in the world of play. And so it's a show that you can watch with your kids and learn how to interact better with your kids, learn how to have pretend play with your kids. So it's 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 30 minutes. Yeah, you can sit there and veg out, but you're also going to get something from it. Coco Melon is like the real housewives of New York <laughs> version for, uh, of like child's entertainment. Like that's what that is. Yeah. 
it's it's brain garbage. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Coco Melon. I'm yeah. sorry. You know, uh, I'm sorry. Well, you know, and I I just it's all like almost like junk food. Yeah. You think about it like that, where it's you know, if you watch a video or two, maybe it's not going to do that much, but right. Just the idea, the the boredom thing is huge because yeah, with ki- with you know people not being able to focus on things that don't have all this stuff going on. Yeah. That is that is a huge issue. We we talk about this with my kids all the time. We've got three. We were just talking about this today, actually, my wife and I. Um, they need constant entertainment, right? They need constant engagement. And our our goal right now, I think that what we're leaning to is like you need to learn to be okay with being bored and being yes. like trapped with the thoughts in your head. And like also boredom generates creativity. If we mm-hmm. want people culturally to keep creating, to keep producing, to make these things that that are going to benefit us, I think, as a society, then that we need some boredom. We need people who can like sit there and stare at the moon and figure out, oh, this is what gravity is or, oh, the, the earth is round or whatever. Like we need to have those moments and we're not allowing for that anymore. And that's a concern of mine, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. So I think this is a good place to wrap up. Where okay. can people go to learn more about you? And are there any great resources that you have that are kind of your, your go-tos that are really popular? Um, I don't, I don't know about like a go-to. So what I would say is start with mrclayslp.com. That's my website. Okay. Um, there are some videos on there. I, it, I don't have every video that I've done on there. Um, but I have links to all my social media, everything like that. Um, um, any, any articles or podcasts that I've ever been on, you'll see space for that all there. Right. Um, you can follow me on YouTube. All you got to do is, um, go to YouTube and type in Mr. And I spell it all out just so everybody knows it's M I S T E R. It's not just the Mr. Clay. Mm -hmm. Um, and I did not intentionally do that to be like a Mr. Rogers copycat. I just, (laughs) when I started this, I just typed that in because that's what my kids at work call me. Um, and it, I just needed something to fill the space and now it's kind of become that. Um, so youtube.com slash Mr. Clay, uh, on my website, I also have, um, I'm trying to, uh, and I don't have this for every video, video yet, but I'm trying to like make some free printable worksheets that you worksheets that you can like pair up with the videos. Mm -hmm. Um, if I ever write a blog, I try to link to other articles that are relevant. Um, you can follow me. I'm most active on Facebook and, um, Instagram. I do have a Twitter and I do have a TikTok, but I am too old to understand too many algorithms. Yeah. So I'm, I'm most involved on, on, in those, uh, on Facebook, it's just Mr. Clay. And then on Instagram, it's Mr. Underscore Clay underscore SLP. Um, so that's all my places. That's where I am. But you can, if you just go to the website and, and if you just Google Mr. Clay, I think I might be like the first or second person yeah. to pop up. And we can link, I'll, I'll link to this in the show notes as well. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else. I wrote a kid's book that I self-published. You could get that. It's like an early reader book Um, because I wrote it for a kid like two years ago and I was like, I should just try to publish it. That's what I kind of do is I like to try things. I'm like, I'm going to try to publish a book. And so I did. And then it was like the number... I think it got into the top 10 of like new nursery rhyme bestsellers or something at some point. I'm like, this is weird. <laughs> I got, that was, I don't know. So the next time people want to create a resource for uh, one of their students, they should think about that. Yeah. 
Just, I mean, and I'm serious. Like I don't do teacher pay teacher and I don't do um, boom cards. I think that those are very good markets. I don't think that I fit into them very well. And I think that there are some people who are doing that really, really, really well. Um, so yeah. So those, I, if I ever do anything, it's going to be on the website. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like that too, but I agree. They're very, very good places to get materials. Just. Oh yeah. I try to make everything free right now too. Um, <clears throat> the only thing that I think costs any money is the book and it's like $8. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a break the budget kind of thing because I want things to be accessible. Like I want people to know um, that there is stuff out there for them that they can afford and they can get to and that they don't have to like spend a bunch of money on. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thanks, Karen. Thanks. All right. I'm going to... Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check out the show notes so that you can check out all of Mr. Clay's online resources and definitely subscribe to his YouTube channel. And also be sure to check out his blog and follow him on social media. And then if you want to get a tool that's going to outline some important assets that you can start building to help you be more effective and help your students generalize, then definitely check out the 30 skills and tools to foster generalization. To download that free guide, you're going to want to go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash generalization. So now, before we wrap up, I wanted to remind you that it helps me out so much to get this information into the ears of people who need it most if you share this episode with your friends and also leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And finally, if you know somebody who is showing some form of leadership in their community as a clinician or serving kids in some way and you think they'd be a great guest for the show, then feel free to reach out to me and let me know because I'm always looking for great suggestions for guests to be on the show. And if you are interested in being on the show, you can reach out to me as well. You're gonna wanna email me at talktome at drkarenspeech.com. Again, thank you so much for listening and I will see you in the next episode. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments without just teaching to the test? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com backslash BE to learn how IXL's research-based teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com backslash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. 
But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into the master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out My Flex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE.